0: Amen. Thank you, worship team. hope you'll grab a copy of the Bible if you don't have one yourself. Turn to First Peter three eighteen. We're going to focus on that verse today, page ten twenty five. You want to follow along with us? Just uh, please, please, just don't take my word for it. Look in the Scripture with us, for the, some of those verses are going to be on the on the screen that we're going to cover in just a moment. I thank you so much for allowing us uh, last week to be gone in a little bit. We went to. Uh, Nashville, and then up to Louisville, Kentucky. And on the way between Nashville and Louisville, Kentucky, the, on I-65, there is a stretch there, Bowling Green, Kentucky. In, in just a few blocks, you can uh, see a Corvette, if you're a Corvette enthusiast, made. You can see a Corvette raced around this racetrack. And then you can see a Corvette retired in, a, in the National Corvette Museum right there, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Well, it was, we didn't go there. But we, we we, saw that. But I, I say that to say this. Uh, just imagine for a moment. A lot of folks wonder, why the cross? Now, there are people that have all sorts of questions, spiritual questions about what it means to be born again as a Christian and what it means to... Ask Jesus into your heart or receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And those are important questions, no doubt. But a lot of folks get hung up when we start talking about the cross. And sometimes we as Christians have become so familiar with it that we think we know all there is to know. Now today I I ask you not to check your brain at the door, but I ask you just to, to taste again as for the very first time. What it means for Jesus to give himself for you and your sin on the cross. And, and I told you that about the, the Corvette Museum because I, I want to answer the question why the cross uh, with an illustration to begin with and then we're going to be looking at three things from 1 Peter 3.18 in just a moment. But imagine with me for just a moment that you had a 1953 Corvette. First year they were made. They're very... They're kind of an iconic classic car now between $125,000 and $190,000 for a classic 1953 Corvette. You have it, and you make this special garage for it, and it's got a keyless entry and all of that with it. And you park that Corvette, that priceless to you Corvette in that garage. And I say, hey, you know what? I would really like to borrow that Corvette because this this summer Jennifer and I are are going to celebrate our thirtieth anniversary. That's true. And can you imagine she stayed with me thirty years? That's amazing to me. And and then when we think about uh, cruising down the interstate, and we we want to cruise in that Corvette. Would would you? I, I know it's a big ask, a huge ask. But could I just borrow that Corvette for just a little bit, a weekend? And and you kind of hesitate a little bit, of course, because you've seen me drive. And, it, and But you finally say, you know, Pastor, I love you, and I'm going to let you do that, and here's the keyless entry code, and you just go get it when you need it, and you put it back in. And so I, I'm backing it out of your special garage, and, and I hit your garage. I bump it a little bit, just a little bit, just a tiny little bit, scratch it a little bit, and then we're driving down the interstate, and and somebody pulls in my lane and I bump them a little bit and then I so the the headlights missing and, and I, I I pull that back to your and you look at it and you look at me and you think, Who's gonna pay for this? And then you realize there's no way I have enough money to to compensate for all of that and, and I'm hoping you've got good insurance gonna cover me or or whatever, but the reason for the cross is that somebody's gotta pay for our forgiveness for our sin. And if we've messed up, we've blown it. We've wrecked our lives. Every good gift and every perfect gift has come down from the Father of lights in heaven. And we've messed that up. And somebody's got to pay for that priceless mess up. And that's what the cross is all about. See, we don't do it. Jesus absorbs that. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough good deeds. We don't have enough good in us, to pay for what we've done with our own lives, His priceless creation. And so He pays. That's what true forgiveness, it really is. Somebody has to receive the pain and the hurt, and that's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. Now, Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 3.18, but it's in the context of, of Christian suffering. And you and I as American Christians don't know what it means to suffer. A lot of folks all over the world who claim the name of Christ know what it means in Asia and in, uh, in South America and other parts of the world to really suffer for the name of Christ. But we in America are pretty soft in all of history. All of Christian history, we're about as soft a Christian as there can be. But that's not who Peter is writing to. He's writing to a, a group that have just uh, begun the Christian faith. Been empowered by the Holy Spirit happened at Pentecost, and Peter writes to them, and he, he knows that they're facing all sorts of persecution from the Roman government, from Nero, and all of his flunkies, and, and all the Romans, really. And he knows that they're really ready and willing to give up their own lives for the cause of Christ. It's that valuable to them. And in that context, he writes these verses in 1 Peter 3, beginning with verse 13. Would you stand and honor the reading of God's Holy Word and just look at what He says about suffering for doing good and we're going to focus on verse 18 as we look at why the cross. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and someone, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good If that is what God wants, then to suffer for doing wrong. Here's verse 18, our focus verse. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. To bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. We're going to celebrate that next week, the the raising, the resurrection. That is the key event in Christian history, but today we get to the part that prepares us for that key event, and that's the cross. So let's ask God to teach us from this passage, from this verse. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for demonstrating that love. sending your one and only Son while we were yet sinners to die for us on that cruel Roman cross. Lord, help us not take it for granted. Not take it lightly. Help us see the depth, width, length, height, your love for us. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to take this one verse, phrase by phrase, and I hope you have a copy of this Uh, on the back of your bulletin. We're going to... Look at why the cross for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Here's why the cross, first and foremost, sinful people. It wasn't the Romans that put Him there. It wasn't the Jewish religious leaders that put Him there. They had their part in the drama, and they were part of the people who put Him there. But it was you and me and our sin They put him there. That's why he came. He came to give his life as a ransom for our sins. We can't take it lightly. We know that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that full well. We know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we stop to think about our sin, don't we far too often just excuse it as, oh, I'm only human. Oh, I'm not perfect. And we don't stop to see what our sin has done to the sinless Son of God. Why he had to come and die in our place. Sometimes people will think, Well, I'm not, I'm not good enough to be received into the kingdom of God, to be received by God. But the truth is, none of us are good enough from the best. Sometimes people think the preacher's the best guy in the church. He's not. You know me very well. You know I'm not. There are people in these pews in these, well. There's just two pews, but people in these chairs all over this place who are holier than I am, we know that full well, but I don't care who you are, the holiest person in this place is not good enough to make it into the kingdom of God apart from the saving grace and the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us right. He offered that blood to us on the cross, and so as we examine that, let's not take that For granted because we don't really know the truth of that Until we're ready to share the truth of that With people that we love And that's why I want you to know Today that it's sinful people that put him there He suffered for us Now think about this for just a moment We begin Holy Week this week This is Palm Sunday Next week is Easter And we we think about Jesus riding in on a donkey As the conquering king to claim his kingdom And people singing Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna, to the king. And then not long after that, they're crying out, crucify him. We know that crowds are fickle. Think about the things that happened that week, though. How Jesus suffered physically that week. First thing I think about is the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, and John records it as the great high priestly prayer in John 17. But the other gospel writers record it as Him praying there in Gethsemane, praying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And he's praying so passionately for you, not just for his disciples, not just for himself, but for you and for me, for those who would know the gospel, the truth, because of their witness. That's us. He prays so passionately for us. And he begins to sweat. Not just any sweat. He sweats drops of blood. Because of the strain and the stress and doctors scientists would tell us that's possible. You can be under such strain and stress that even as you sweat, the capillaries in your temples begin to burst and that's what's going on. And Judas comes and takes him and he goes through those unjust, the most unjust trials in the history of Humanity. Probably no less than six of them. And then after that, Pilate just decides to wash his hands of him and he doesn't know what else to do. So he has him flogged and handed over to be crucified. And don't miss the flogging part, the scourging part, because that's pain. That's physical pain. That's what he suffered for you and for me. And why did he do that? Why did he have to suffer so for you and for me? Now think about this for a second. All the sins. Uh, that you've committed and all the pain that they've caused in your relationships and in your own life and all the consequences that you've had to face for that and now you multiply by that that by all the people in the world some 7.7 billion and you multiply that by all the people in the history of the world much more than that and all of that was heaped upon him he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God it took a lot so he takes all that pain and that scourging you know well, I don't know if you know but I, I, I've, I've been told that when, when uh, people used to get licks at school you know they had to bend over and I, I'm not talking about example now I don't know this by fact but they can bend over and hold their ankle you know why I did that so it tightened up that area and so the pain would be a little more intense there so they, that'd be a detriment to any kind of misbehavior whatsoever. Jesus bore his back in that scourging, and then there was a man who was a lictor who had this whip that's cat of nine tails. And you know, you if you've been in church any time at all, you know there are pieces of bones and glass. But children don't know this, and this you got to explain this to the kids how much how much suffering he took for them and bones and glass and this whip. And he they. they whipped his back, born, and then it'd be ribbons, and they'd do it to the point where their their intestines wouldn't quite be falling out. And I know that's gross, and I know that's ugly, because it was. He suffered. He was handed over to be crucified by the Romans, and the Romans perfected the art of execution, and they extracted pain they drive those nine-inch nails into his hands and his feet. they lop him up on that cross where he couldn't breathe. He'd suffocate. He'd try to breathe. Say just a word. And he, excruciating is a word that we have in our language when you think about having a migraine. Excruciating pain. That comes from the cross. That literally means out of the cross. That's the worst kind of pain. And he took that for our sin because he loved us and he showed it. The cross happened because of you and me. The second thing, though, I want you to see, it was a substitutional. He didn't just die for us. He died instead of us. That was our cross in the middle. You remember three crosses? Jesus is in the middle. Actually, that cross first and foremost was a substitute. He was a substitute for a guy named Barabbas. Remember that guy? That guy was a sorry, no good, excuse the language, S-O-B in that day. I can just imagine the guards, the Romans, excited about crucifying Barabbas, hanging him up. It says he was a robber, a thief, an insurrectionist, which means he was was a rebel, a revolutionary. He, He was like what we would think of in our day as Osama bin Laden. He was a terrorist, causing all sorts of havoc. And that cross in the middle was his cross. He was the worst kind of guy. And the Scripture says, 1 Peter 3.18 says, he, he died the just for the unjust, or the righteous for the unrighteous. Think about this for just a moment, how unrighteous Barabbas was. And now our day, think about all these folks, and, and we've become so callous to it because it happens so often. To All these mass murders, these mass shooters, and all this mass shooting, I, I looked up on, the, the, on my Google the most recent mass shootings, and it happened just this week up in Boulder, Colorado, in a grocery store. Ten were killed in Boulder, Colorado in a mass shooting. It happened just a few weeks ago in Atlanta, remember? And all the spa shootings and all the hate crime and, and the Asian ladies who were killed there. And, and that's just a, a couple of weeks ago. But it happened in 2019 right here in in Midland, Odessa area, when the guy hijacks the, the postal vehicle and kills... Um, seven people injured 25 that's just down the road folks now you think about what would happen if those guys or or guys like what we know these serial killers from history and stuff jack the ripper and son of sam and uh jeffrey dahmer think about what would happen if they came before a judge and came before a jury and the jury and the judge says you know i think they're sorry I think they feel bad for what they've done. Slapped them on the wrist and said, Y'all go on. For those kind of crimes. What would you and I think? Who's going to pay for their crimes? I'll tell you who. Their victims. And their victims' families. And you and I, society. Because somebody's going to pay. If it's not them, then we pay. And yet, Christ paid. You see what happens? When a guilty person is acquitted or set free with a slap on the wrist, then the judge, whoever did that, is condemned. And that's what happened on the cross. Jesus set us free. He acquitted us. He became the substitute for our sin. I I want you to see a couple of verses here with me if we could go back to those verses I think under the first point I just want you to see what happened as he acquitted us in in Colossians 2.14 he cancelled the record of the charges against it away by paying for it himself and nailing it through the cross he paid he was the judge and yet he was the one who condemned himself he took the penalty He stepped down off that throne of judgment and took it for you and for me. He did that once and for all, for all sins, for all time. Look at the next verse in Hebrews 10.10. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once, for all time. That's what Peter's saying. He doesn't have to do it again. And if you think it's not enough for your sin, then what you're saying is that your sin is greater than his sacrifice. And that's never the case. Because the perfect, sinless Son of God paid the price for your sin and mine. When he says it is finished, what he's saying is payments paid. It's paid in full. Telestai is the Greek phrase and that's what they stamped on debts that had been paid. He paid the debt he did not owe. I owed the debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away and now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace all day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt for me you and your sin that we can never pay. Think about that this Easter. Don't rush through all the activities and all the celebration and all the gathering of family and all those things are, are wonderful but don't miss the main point of the greatest day in human history. The resurrection that followed the darkest day when the best man ever walked the face of this earth became sin for you. On that old rugged cross, you look at that cross and what does it mean to you? Does it mean it, it wasn't that beautiful? It wasn't that pretty? It's an ugly thing. It's an instrument of execution. He had those crowns placed down upon his head. It wasn't ornamental. It was torture. He had all of those things done to him to humiliate him. His beard was plucked and they were spitting on his face. We, we think of that in our day and that is the greatest form of insult. He endured that humiliation publicly. It wasn't done in a closet on a private road somewhere way back in the woods. done on the intersection of the major thoroughways, the, the interstate highways where everybody could see. He did all of that as a substitute for you and me. You see, God is just. He's holy. He's different than us. And in order to have a relationship with him, we needed Jesus to bridge that gap, the perfect one, God himself to come down and die in our place so that we could be connected to God. Look at the last passage I want you to see there after Romans 6, 10, 11. When he died, he wants to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead power of sin, and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And We think about that once for all. Dead for our sin so that we could be dead to the power of sin. Now is that what your life is characterized by? Another passage I want you to see, another verse I want you to see under the second point there as he becomes this substitute for us is this For our sake, I quote this all the time. You want to memorize this. You want to put this in your notes, if you would. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when God looks at us, God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us in our filth and sin and He sees us washed clean, forgiven, paid for through the precious blood of Jesus. That's what we celebrate. Yes, That's what we honor. That's what we lift up all the time, but especially during the Easter season. Because this is the final thing I want you to see. Why the cross? It's the saving power to bring us back safely home to God. He might bring us to God. Because what sin does, it separates us from God. The essence of sin is we put ourselves in God's place. We do things our own way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. We put ourselves in God's place. And the essence of of salvation is that God puts himself in our place. So he pays the debt that we owe. He gets what we deserve. And he gives us life eternal life. Think of it this way. You remember, it's been about uh, 33, 34 years ago. You remember a a young girl in Midland named Jessica McClure? Baby Jessica, y'all remember that? Raise your hands if you you remember that. So that means you're older than 33, 34, 35 years old. Could you imagine? I was thinking about a a child that we had about, she was about 18 months old. Uh, Nathan's a 14 months old. Oh, oh, what? Nathan Duncan, Katie's little son. Could you imagine Nathan falling into that little well and not being able to get out of that little well? And, and her, her foot was above her head, and she was in that well 58 hours. You remember? The whole nation remembers baby Jessica. She's, she turned 35 years old this last week on the 26th. Can you imagine? How much celebration there was when little baby Jessica was saved! I want to tell you this: there's no more celebration than the celebration when someone, a child, was lost and is found. And the Scripture talks about it this way: the angels in heaven rejoice when someone was lost and is now is, is found. And that's what the cross does. The cross brings us back to God where we belong. Back home. I love the way the New Living Translation translates that. Back home to God. So this Easter season, where you need to come, back home. Maybe somebody in this place that's never experienced the saving grace, the saving power of Jesus Christ. Today can be the day. In fact, as we think about that, I I wondered if we just bow our heads and close our eyes, and I want to pray. I want to pray. Nobody looking around for just a second. I don't do this often. You know that. But for just a second, I I want you to raise your hand if you know that you need that saving power, if you know you need to to be saved, if you know you need to experience the power of the cross. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. You've never done that before. You've never been saved. I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand? Now, if you know you have people, you know you have people in your oikos, your sphere of influence, your family, friends, neighbors, the people we talk about every week, that, that don't know that, that don't know the saving power of Jesus Christ. The saving power of the cross. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for them. I want to pray for them. Hope you're praying for them. Father, we come to you, and Lord, I ask for the boys and girls, the young people, the men and women in this place who have people in their spheres that don't know you that that you'd use them. We know, Lord, that's the most effective way. To reach people for you is through your people. Lord, I pray for the people in this community that might be invited next week to a breakfast and to hear your word and to worship and to celebrate the end results of the the cross. Father, it's your power that turns those dark moments of the cross crucifixion into the the bright hope of the resurrection and we can whip death because of what you've done Jesus I pray that you would show people in this place their end not to be morbid about it but just to be real about it that all of us are going to come to an end face you. Lord, I pray that everybody in this place would be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ so they'd be saved. So they'd know they'd spend eternity with you and they know that they have hope in this life and the next. And they know they have you in your presence. Always. of what you did, Jesus, once and for all on the cross. Thank you. Now, Lord, I pray that your spirit would fall down and move among us as we sing about how you, Jesus, paid it all. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? And I'd invite you